Lord, we invite you at this time to open up in God's Word to Psalm 37, which will be our focus this morning. Psalm 37. It's a bit of a longer song and a longer scripture reading, but it is a very beautiful psalm and uh, it'll be a blessing to work our way through it. We'll focus especially on the first uh, eight verses, but uh, take a few things from later in the psalm as well. Psalm 37. Once again, we'll read the whole psalm and we'll give our attention to the reading of God's word as we do so together. Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1, a psalm of David. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. For the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice, and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man. Observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them, because they trust in him. As far as the reading of God's words, Psalm 37, a beautiful psalm, 
our focus primarily in the first uh, eight verses, uh, but we'll try and delve in here and there uh, to a few points later in the psalm. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, as we come to Psalm 37 uh, this morning, we get to see uh, a writing of David in a rather neat season of his life. I don't know if you know the story of David and followed the life of David, but David is a man who, uh, in God's providence, lived and served and uh, struggled in many ways. As a young man, he was a shepherd. He watched over the sheep of his father. Uh, But not only was he a shepherd who watched over the sheep, he was also a poet, uh, a harpist. He wrote many psalms of praise to God. He was a man who was described as having a heart after God's own heart, and he walked very near to the Lord. If you remember the story of David, he was moved from being this uh, shepherd watching over his father's sheep and playing the harp uh, to going to play the harp for uh, King Saul. Uh, He helped to quiet Saul when Saul would have an evil demon come upon him. He came into prominence. He became a fighter and a warrior. He went to battle against Goliath, and you may remember he slew the giant. After that, he himself became a great military leader in Israel. Now David the harpist, David the psalmist became David the warrior. And he would take his band of men and and win many victories. But when Saul became jealous, David became David the hunted. And the mighty warrior became one who had to run before the king because the king sought to kill him. In God's timing, God gave deliverance to David, and David the hunted became himself the next king of Israel, anointed by Samuel to take on that great mantle and to lead the people of God as a king. His kingship would be a beautiful thing, his kingdom, one which is constantly held up in the Bible as the model and the one through whom would come the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. But if you know the story of David, his Leadership as a king uh, was not untainted. In being given a place of great position and great power, he used that power to satisfy his own lusts. And David took for himself another man's wife. And when she conceived, uh, he tried to uh, pin the crime, so to speak, or cover the crime by... Uh, pretending it would be the son of her own husband. And when that didn't work, he killed the husband to cover up his own sin. David was a remarkable man. But as all remarkable men except for one, he was a sinner. And so David would be the psalmist, and David would be the warrior, and David would be the king, but David would also be the fallen. And his fall would be a great fall. Because he belonged to God and because God loved him with an enduring love, an unending love, David the fallen would one day be restored. God would send Nathan the prophet to come to this wayward son and he would speak a message that would bring David to repentance. I don't know if you've ever wondered what it was like for David after he was restored. Did he ever regain that sweet fellowship he once knew with Christ? Because when you follow through his story, if you know his story, it's actually a quite difficult story. After David's restored, there is war within his own family. His son Absalom rises up to try and take the throne from his father. There's civil war in Israel. It just seems like a very difficult period as you read through David's life. And sometimes we may wonder, did David ever regain the beauty of knowing what it was to draw near to God after he fell so horribly into sin with Bathsheba? And Psalm 37 is a bit of an answer to that, isn't it? 
Because it's a psalm of David, but as he himself says, it's not a psalm of David from when he was young. It's not a psalm of David from his early years. No, to the contrary, he says in verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old. This is the song of a David who has, as some of the saints here may have, a crown of glory, gray hair. David has come towards the end of his life, and by the grace of God, the fellowship he knew with his Lord has been restored, and he's not only able to enjoy communion with God, but he's able to write for the next generation. And he looks at the next generation coming up and facing the same battles he did and facing the same enemies. And and David writes now as a veteran in the war. He writes as one who has gone through the trenches, one who knows what it is to be hit, one who knows what it is to be restored, one who knows what it is to fall and testifies by his own hand that though the righteous man may fall, he will not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him. He writes as a man who understands what it is to know his own weakness and to know God's goodness. And he says to the church, he says to the people of God, as you go through this life, as you fight this battle, as you face your foes, I have advice for you, and it's advice not merely from David, but by the inspiration of the Spirit, advice from God. It's advice that calls us, in the midst of the battle, not to lose our focus, not to lose our hope, to make sure in the midst of this life, in the midst of this warfare, our eyes, our heart, and our faith is fixed upon Jesus Christ. And he shows us what that means and how that is to be done. And he shows us that it can be done. Because in all struggles, in all battles, in all difficulties, we have a God who is forever faithful. A God who will not forsake his promises. A God who will not forsake his people. And a God who therefore can be trusted and followed and loved and served with all our hearts. David is writing as a veteran of war. And he's telling the next generation how we are called to fight. And the call to fight is a call to fight by walking in faith, in a faithful God. And that is going to be our focus and theme this morning. That's going to be our call. I I use this sermon in in my home church as a a New Year's Day sermon. Uh, This afternoon we have the installation of office bearers, and I didn't think that would fit for this morning uh, for you guys, although the Word of God is always applicable. We used it for a New Year's Day sermon. We use it specifically specifically because in the last number of years we've seen increased conflict in the world. We've seen increased animosity against the church. We've seen, even as Brother Fenema prayed, uh, increased struggles and, and reasons for being aware that we are in a battle. And in the midst of this, beloved, the strategy doesn't change. The hope of the church doesn't change. The heart of the child of God shouldn't be moved off. Keep your faith in the Lord. He is faithful. Walk by faith and know the goodness of God in the land of this battle, in the hearts and lives of God's people. We're going to study this in three points this morning. We're going to see first the danger, second the provision, and third the summons or the call. The danger, the provision, and the summons. We begin noting one of the dangers David points out again in his later years that can come as we fight this battle of the faith. And it comes in in three ways. You'll see it in verse 1, and then you'll see it repeated in the end of verse 7, and repeated again in verse 8. And it says this, Do not fret because of evildoers, verse 1. It repeats it in verse 7, Do not fret because of him who prospers in the way. 
because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. And the end of verse 8, do not fret, it only causes harm. There's going to be three dangers we're going to see in this life of faith that come to us. And the first one is this, that we become anxious and we become worried. Uh, What does it mean to fret? It's kind of fun if you look up the definition of fret. Uh, It is to give a visible expression to anxiety. To give a visible expression to anxiety. If you know what it is to fret, we may all have signs that we're fretting. What do you do when you fret? Uh, Some people may, uh, I know, uh, twist their hands when they're getting a little fretful. Uh, I've seen students, uh, when they're writing a test and they're a little worried, take their pen and they'll click it all the time. Uh, Don't you love that one? All the students around them are giving them a hit, knock it off. Some people may pace, you know, walking back and forth across the living room. We have signs that we do physically that show the anxiety of our heart. And one of the first dangers that can come to the child of God as they live in a world where there are enemies is that they can grow anxious. They can grow worried. I remember talking to a senior saint once, like David was when he wrote the psalm, and the saint said to me, you know, I used to think once my kids were grown up and out of the house, I wouldn't worry as much. Then I had grandkids, and now I worry all the more. You know, it doesn't matter whether you have kids or grandkids or not, that's not the point. But we can tend to think to ourselves that our time of worry and anxiety is just for a certain season. Once this season passes, then surely the anxiety will will go away. Once we have a little bit more of a financial cushion, we won't be threatened with anxiety or worry as much. Once we have a, a more secure job, we won't be as worried anymore. Once we have a change in our government, we won't be anxious as much. You ever thought that way? It's wrong, isn't it? It's wrong to think that the remedy for the anxiety of our hearts will be found in a change of our external circumstances. It's wrong to think that we'll be less anxious if something happens to make it better. I know personally when we, my wife and I were in seminary, we were uh, poor as church mice. Uh, we, we didn't have much money. We didn't know where it's going, by the way. We have with us at our church, uh, a brother of this church, uh, Steve Huseman. It's been a blessing to have him with us. Hopefully he's not poor as a church member with us. But those seminary years, they can be a little tough. When we were in seminary, we didn't have very much. And there were times when we didn't even have enough for our groceries, and God did some amazing things. We had times when we'd have members and people in our apartment complex who didn't even know the Lord they leave bags of groceries on our doorstep uh, without us asking or mentioning anything. It was quite a remarkable thing. But it was funny because in those days when we had so very little, we found we weren't overly worried about money. But then once I started getting a paycheck, I began worrying about money more. Isn't that kind of odd? Wouldn't you think that if the external circumstances were better, if I was getting paid, I would worry less? And yet, what was the state of my own heart that I seemed to find more freedom when I had no paycheck and when I got when I started worrying about my money? Do not fret, says David, because of evildoers. How have you done in the past year? When you've seen new laws handed down by our government that call what is good evil and what is evil good, has it made you worried? Has it led to a higher level of anxiety in the church or in your family? Don't be ashamed if it has. David's fought the battle and he knows the tendency of the human heart. 
But the truth is, there's a problem with anxiety. There's a problem with worry. You see, because the reason you worry is because you're taking your eyes off of Christ. There's a story in the New Testament, a beautiful story that illustrates this. It's the time when Jesus is walking on the water and the disciples see him outside the boat. And they're scared, thinking it's a ghost. And Jesus says, it's not I, a ghost, it is I. And and Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus commands Peter to come to the water. And what does Peter do? Peter gets out of the boat, and Peter walks on water towards the Lord. And then do you remember what happens? Do you remember how the Bible describes what happens next? As Peter's walking on the the water, the Bible says, but when Peter saw the wind And the waves, he grew afraid, and he began to sink. Now, humanly speaking, we can understand this. I can imagine if I was walking on water, I want you to think about that for a minute. If you were walking on water, we can all imagine that if there was a storm going on, and we felt the waves crashing against our face, or or felt the wind blowing upon us, we might get a little scared. But the problem was that when... Peter began to sink. He cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his his hand and grabbed him. And then what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, oh, you of little faith. What happened to Peter? The problem wasn't the wind. The problem wasn't the waves. The problem was that in worrying about the things around him, Peter took his eyes off of Christ. And here is David, the great warrior of the faith, and he's writing to the people of God who are to come. And he's saying, listen, when the enemy is all around you, when the evildoers seem to triumph, don't grow anxious. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't forget the Savior, beloved. That is one of the dangers we have in this life, that we can see the reality of evil and take our eyes off Christ. Just one small note on this, that can happen not only in the political sphere as we look at our government, as we look at our nation, as we look at entertainment and all these things outside of us, it can also happen in our own hearts. There can be times when the sins we wrestle with just don't seem to let go. And the things we thought we put to death come back. And we can think to ourselves, we'll never be free. Or God will never forgive. Or God will never save. You know, one of the reasons myself personally have wondered about if David ever was restored to the closeness of fellowship he had with God as a young man when he grew older and fell into sin is not only because I've read David's story and seen the conflict in his house, but also because I've held that in my own heart. I've had times where I've realized my sin and wondered if I'll ever have the closeness to God I had with him once. And you know, this too is a form of fretting and anxiety that God calls you away from. Don't fret because of evildoers outside your house and don't be fret because of evildoers inside your house either. Don't take your eyes off Christ. Don't you know who gives you the fellowship? Don't you know who gives you the peace? Don't you know who draws you near to God? Don't you know who holds heaven and earth and all things in his hand? Keep your eyes upon the Lord and don't be anxious. The first enemy, the second enemy, envy. 
have to go perhaps a little quicker. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. If one danger we have in living in a sinful world is that we begin to worry about all the troubles that may come to us, the second danger that comes to the child of God is that they begin to be jealous. They begin to be jealous of those who don't follow Christ. This is seen in many places in the Bible. One of the most famous ones is Psalm 73. It's a psalm of Asaph. And he begins the psalm by saying, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, I almost slipped, my steps almost stumbled, because I was envious of the workers of iniquity when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What Asaph is saying is that he knew God was good, but when he saw how well everyone else had it, those who didn't follow Christ, he began to be a little jealous. I don't know if you've ever had this. It can come up and happen in different ways. As we live for Christ, we're called to honor him with everything we have. We heard that and read that in the law today. We're called to give him the first fruits of all we have. We're called to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. How much does Christian education cost nowadays? We're called to honor God with the first fruits of our possessions. That means when we get our paycheck, the first thing we are called to do is to give a thank offering to God by coming to church and giving money to contribute to the kingdom of the Lord and the work of Christ. When you put that kind of thing together, Christians can often be living on less of an income that might be coming across in the paycheck. When you add to that, that is not merely an idea of a minimum, but we are to be generous of heart. Sometimes if we have the focus that Christ has, it can mean that much of our lives are given in serving others and giving gifts to others who are in need. You ever looked at your neighbor? You wished you had a little bit nicer car like they had? Or you watched the the Facebook or the Instagram feeds of, of vacations? And wish you could just have a little nicer vacation like so-and-so has. If only I didn't put my money into the Christian school. If only I didn't have to give so much to God. If only I didn't have this. Or maybe you're in the workplace. You're trying to work with integrity and honesty. You're trying to do your job to the best of your ability. And someone else there is cutting the corners. And they're taking the credit for what you've done. And when promotion time comes, they get the promotion and you get overlooked. Just wish you had what they had. The the danger for all the things that David is going to list is that we begin to take our eyes off of Christ and place them only on this world. Why is envy such a danger? Well, David tells us in verse 2, because they're going to be cut down like the grass. Can you imagine if you lived in the days of the Titanic and, and your neighbor was one of the privileged? The Titanic was a luxury cruise ship. Only the most wealthy could buy tickets for that wonderful ship that was said to be indestructible. Can you imagine your neighbor was one of the people who bought a ticket and got to go in a nice first-class cabin on the Titanic? And you looked at them and you heard about their wonderful vacation. You said to yourself, man, I wish I could go on the Titanic. Kind of a stupid thing to wish, isn't it? Because we know the rest of the story. We know what happened to that so-called indestructible ship. Do you know what it is to envy those who don't know Christ? It's to envy people who will one day come before God as a holy judge, and if they have not repented, be condemned to eternal life, suffering under the wrath of a holy God. All these things are dangerous because they take our eyes off of Jesus and make us think that this world is all there is. 
the enemy is all there is, that our sin is all there is, that pleasure today is all there is, that all we should be living for is a better house in the here and now when God has promised an eternal inheritance in the heavenly places. David's saying to the next generation of warriors, beloved, God is saying to us, watch out for envy, watch out for anxiety, and the last one, watch out for anger, verse 8. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret, it only causes harm. If we watch how people have responded to the different levels of government overreach in the last number of years, you can almost see these pictures played out. And I'm sorry if I offend you by saying government overreach. You can pretend it's something else if you want to. But you've seen this. You've seen people get very anxious as they watch changing laws and they wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. You can see people be envious. I wish we were like this country. I wish we were like that state, Florida. And you can see people get mad. They just get mad. How dare they? Oh, if I could get my hands on. But love the Lord, that idea of turning to anger, it's been a temptation from the days of David. You can look in David's life of how when he was hunted by Saul, there were times when Saul was put into the, the power of David and his, his soldiers would say, now's the chance, David, strike him down, kill him. Put him to death and you will be saved. And David would say to his soldiers, don't you know that either God will bring about his time to die or he will die in battle or he will get sick, but as for me, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. He left it in the hands of the Lord. One temptation that comes to the church in days when wickedness seems to reign is that we think we should just get mad. And beloved, that is not of Christ. It's okay to have a righteous anger, but a vengeful anger. It's not for the children of the Lord. So these are the dangers. And each one takes our eyes off of God. Why does anger take our eyes off of God? Because Romans 12 says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And so you'll heap coals of fire upon his head. Leave this in the hands of God. God is able to give to the wicked their due. It is not for us to take that upon ourselves. These are the three dangers that David gives to Christians that would rob us from the joy of walking by faith in a faithful God. They would take our eyes off the Savior and make us forget the faithfulness of God. And the remedy to this, the the second point, the provision God gives, the the, the beauty God gives is, is merely himself. Uh, In this psalm, there's constantly a contrast between the possibility of walking under these dangers, uh, fretting, envy, uh, anger, and what should be the remedy. And you see that in the opening verses, after he gives the two verses, do not fret nor be envious, he comes out and says in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. There's a remedy to the idea of what happens when we begin to fall into the wrong places and take the wrong answers, and the remedy is simply this, trust in Christ. Put your hope in him. Know that God has not fallen off his throne. He has not ceased to be holy. He has not ceased to be good. He has not ceased to be sovereign. It's actually quite remarkable how the psalm breaks out, and we read it for a reason. The the commands of the psalm are almost entirely within the first eight verses. 
The first eight verses hold almost all the commands of the psalm. There's uh, one more in verse 27, and then verse 34. They come up again. But the rest of the psalm is essentially a picture showing how God is actually sovereign and does what is good. And so David calls us not to be fretful, not to be anxious, not to be envious, but rather to be faithful. And to set our faith in the one God who is worthy to have our faith in. To set our faith in the Lord who is always faithful. And he opens it up with these words. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and feed on his faithfulness. I want to open this up, idea up of feeding on God's faithfulness a little for us this morning. To see how it helps uh, stir in us trust in the Lord's goodness. When you find yourself tempted to envy, anxiety, or anger... Oftentimes, as we mentioned already, it's because your eyes are being taken off of Christ. The remedy, therefore, is to set your eyes back on the Lord. When you live in a time where you see the the increasing uh, evil and animosity of the world against the church, you have a discipline and a summons God gives you to fight against the temptations of your own heart. And the summons he gives you is twofold. Trust in the Lord. And that's said in a number of ways in this passage. Uh, trust in the Lord, verse 3. Delight yourself in the Lord, verse 4. Commit your way to the Lord, verse 5. Trust in the Lord again, verse 5. Rest in the Lord, verse 7. Wait patiently for the Lord, also verse 7. All these things call for a confidence in God. A confidence in God that is not shaken when the enemy stirs. Now, you can look at this in in, in history in many places. If we look at the life of David, you see it when Goliath stood upon the battlefield. When Goliath came out and stood on the battlefield, he challenged the armies of God. He defied the armies of God to give a champion who could stand against him. And he threatened that when that champion finally stood up, he would slay the champion and feed his body to the birds, and then the Philistines would conquer Israel. The idea was the enemy challenged the church, mocked the strength of God's people. And when the Israelites heard the mockery of Goliath, what happened? They were terrified. They shook in their boots until a man stood up by the grace of God who pointed them to the living Lord and told them of a God who was able to conquer any enemy and any foe. And beloved, this is what the psalmist is now calling us to remember. As you live in a world of evildoers, as you live in a world of iniquity, as you see in your own heart the sin of your own soul, never stop putting your faith in the living Lord. I want to talk about this in two ways, just briefly this morning. First of all, let's talk about this personally. Because the Christian battles sin. When you become a child of the Lord, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your war against sin doesn't end. I wish it did. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Sometimes you hear testimonies, and maybe it's, it's, a, maybe it's a tendency of some Christian books. We have some Christian fiction books, and they write stories, and even Christian fiction movies. All right, And they write stories about people who go through all kinds of troubles, and then they become a Christian, and everything's better. Don't you love those stories? You know, I used to struggle with drinking and then I became a Christian. Now I never drink again. I used to struggle with gambling. I became a Christian. I've never gambled since. I'm just so happy all the time. Life is great. It doesn't always work that way, does it? Because you become a Christian, you find the same, the same temptations, the same battles. They keep coming. They don't stop. And when they don't stop, 
Beloved Lord, you are called to trust not in yourself, but in Christ. To find your hope not in yourself, but in Christ. You see, the reason we read Zechariah 3 as an assurance of pardon this morning was to kind of tie it into this part of the sermon. Because in Zechariah 3, Joshua the high priest stands before the Lord and he is the high priest. He is the one who represents the people of God. He is robed in filth. And there is not a single soul here who is standing before God outside of Christ would not be robed in filth and worthy of all condemnation. When we face the evildoers of our own heart, when we face the enemy of sin, when we face that that devil who stands at the right hand of God to accuse the people, you know how the devil works. Before you sin, he tells you sin is not so bad. It won't be so bad. Surely you will not die. And after you sin, he tells you you'll never be forgiven. You have fallen so greatly, God will never receive you. Beloved, when you face the enemy of the devil, when you face the enemy of your own sin, your hope cannot deviate from trusting in the Lord your God. You have never been received by God because you have been holy in yourself. You have never been received by God because you have been so good. You have never been loved by God because you were lovable. God loved you in his Son. He forgave you in Christ. He offered hope to you through Jesus Christ. And if you put your hope in the Lord and you rest in him, that doesn't have to be shaken when you face the evil of your own heart. Do we understand this? That when the devil comes with his accusations to us and reminds us of how little we deserve and how much we've thrown away before a holy God, there is a Savior whose blood will not fail to cover all your sin. Trust in the Lord. Rest in Him. Wait for Him. He provides everything you need. When the enemy attacks, when it's your own personal sin, beloved, do not fail to trust in the Lord. And when it comes in the world, we had a, a remarkable thing we got to hear the testimony of, of a young couple in our church, and she was from China, and he was from Canada. She was raised in a, in a home that never knew the Lord. A, a, a tragic story. Um, she spoke to my wife and, and told my wife of how she was one of three children. But the other two had both been forcefully aborted by the agents of the Chinese government because her parents broke the one-child rule. I want you to think about that. She was one of three children, but both of the other kids never came to life or never saw the light of day, because before they were born, the Chinese government took the mother and forced abortions upon her because there was only one child allowed per family. She told this to my wife almost casually, and, and my wife was... Floored. This woman was raised in a non-Christian home in a nation where Christianity is persecuted. In college, one of her college students must have taken her heart in her hands 
and risked sharing the gospel with this woman, though she knew for sharing the gospel she'd be put in prison. She came to faith in Jesus Christ. She is now seeking membership in our church in the Lord's journey. And we said, do you have, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, papers. Do you have any membership papers? And she said, no, 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 I have nothing like that. But I have a picture. And it has a picture of her at the front of a church, and they're all holding a little certificate. And it's all the people who profess faith. And we kind of laughed, because when you zoom in on the certificate, it's all Chinese. So we can't tell if it's a profession of faith or not. In God's providence, after she became a Christian, she went to serve God on these various mission trips, mercy ships. And uh, she met a man, and his story is quite remarkable. His story was that he was raised in a Christian home, and he rejected the Christian faith. He was given a Bible by his parents, and he was so mad at God that he threw his Bible in the garbage. He threw his Bible away and rejected the Lord. Years later, he was walking down the road, and he saw a Bible that someone had thrown on the side of the road, they had tossed out. And he thought to himself that he should pick it up and he should read it. He couldn't overcome his own sinfulness, and so he walked away, but he said, if it's still there tomorrow, if it's still there tomorrow, I'll pick it up, I'm going to read it. It was still there tomorrow. He picked up the Bible someone else had thrown away. He read it, he became a Christian. God led him to Jesus. Now, the way we're saved when we first come to faith, it doesn't change when we're older. God didn't save this man. He didn't save this woman because they were somehow so faithful in themselves. He saved them because of the amazing grace he gives through Jesus Christ. The salvation you have, beloved, is not because of how good you were or how strong you were or how smart you were. It was a salvation given through Jesus Christ. Don't stop believing in that. Now, why did I use the illustration? I, I meant only to use the first part of the illustration of this woman coming to faith in a Chinese government because we are living in a time in a government where we are seeing increased persecution against the church, increased hostility against the word of God. This woman's testimony is that in a nation which would, would force abort her own brothers, which would prevent the sharing of the gospel, God in his amazing grace brought her to come to know Jesus Christ and she was brought to a saving faith in Jesus. Can the enemy of this day, can the power of this world ever stop the gospel? Do we ever need to fear that if our nation becomes so evil, the church will die. Or the saving power of Christ will somehow be stopped. God forbid we should ever come to that. David calls us not to put our hope in man. Not to put our hope in a, in a good government. Not to put our hope in a good self. David calls us to put our hope in Christ's trust in the Lord. And then very practically, to help bolster this, he tells us to dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Now, we don't have a lot of time yet. You used to have two hours bowers, though. <laughs> Let's just hit this quickly. For David, what did it mean to dwell in the land? What was that land? It was the promised land, wasn't it? As enemies are all around, David is saying, dwell in the land. Whatever's ha- stay where God has given you the inheritance. Keep your roots in the promised land, the promises of God, the goodness of God. Dwell there. But then he says this, and feed on his faithfulness. The more we are aware of our own sin, the more we see opposition in the world around us, the more we need to feast upon the faithfulness of our God. Let the stories of God's redemption and mercy be our food. What happens if you don't eat? What happens if you go without food for a while, especially if you work a physical job? 
You might get away without breakfast. You might get away a little bit without your mid-morning snack. But if you skip breakfast and you skip lunch and you're working a hard physical job or you're out at a tournament running or playing sports all day and you eat no food, what happens? Eventually you get dizzy. You might get headaches. And if you're not eating at all, you might drop on the court or you might drop in the workplace and faint because you just don't have enough food in you. Do you know what you need as you fight this spiritual battle in a time when your own sin and the sin of the world threatens to undo you? You need to feed on the faithfulness of God. It's beautiful because David does it the rest of the psalm. He goes through, and you can do that later today. We don't have time, but he goes through and he sees how God is faithful. He always judges the wicked. He always saves the righteous. And then he gives personal testimony that not only in the life of the history of the world and not only in the Bible does he see God's faithfulness, but David goes and says in verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Isn't that David's testimony? Wasn't David a good man? Wasn't David a man who had his steps ordered by the Lord? Brought from being a shepherd to being a king? Wasn't David a man who had God delighting in his way? Here is a man after my own heart. And wasn't David a man who fell and yet was not utterly cast down? Dwell on God's faithfulness. Remember the times he gave forgiveness to you. Remember the times he gave forgiveness to others. Eat it. Put it in your heart. Don't let the opposition of this world begin to shape the way you think. Set your eyes and your heart upon Christ and feed on the faithfulness of God. David goes on to say, I've been young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. This is a personal testimony of David. Where he is seeing the hand of God in his unfailing goodness. And he says to the church, Feed on this. You know, in times of persecution, in times of struggle, in times of temptation, in times of trial, the church becomes more important, not less. In times of increasing warfare in the world around us, your personal time with God becomes more important, not less. You get up in this world, you'll be facing the attacks of the enemy, facing the temptations that come to you. Begin your day, open the word of God, and feed on the faithfulness of Christ. Let it be your strength. Let it give you stamina. This is the provision God has given us, a God who is forever faithful. A God who provides all we need, so that no foe, external or internal, can snatch us from the hand of a sovereign king. And then finally the call, and we'll just cover this very quickly, the summons. It comes a couple times in the passage and it's illustrated often. Uh, Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 27, depart from evil and do good. Verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way. And if you go over, um, for me, the next page, I believe it's verse 37. Mark the blameless man, observe the upright. The future of that man is peace. God calls us to set our trust in the Lord, to set our hope in Christ, to be anchored, rooted, grounded in a faithful God who will not fail his people. And then the Lord calls us to simply trust and then obey. 
it's not that complicated to be a Christian in the world today or in the world yesterday in the world 20 years down the road if Christ tarries. It's not that complicated. Set your heart in Christ and live for him. So we admire of David coming before Goliath when all Israel trembled because they had their eyes on the enemy. David set his heart upon God. He knew the faithfulness of God and that led him to stand up against an enemy and speak the truth of the Lord. Dwell in the land and do good. What did that Christian woman in college do? When she saw a friend in the school and whatever prompted her to share the gospel, whatever prompted her to realize this young woman's need, when she had a government that told her it was illegal to proselytize, it was illegal to share your faith with others, she took her heart in her hands. She told this young woman about Jesus Christ. And God brought a sinner to salvation. Oh, we can get envious. We can get angry. We can get fretful. Don't. Trust and obey. Worship the Lord as God's people. Gather with the saints in Bible study, encouragement. Reach out to neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fight sin in your heart. Strive to live for the Lord and Savior. God is faithful. And because he is faithful, we are called to faithfulness. We're called to live our lives for Christ. It doesn't matter what the world does in response. It doesn't matter if a day comes when you lose your house for standing for Christ or you lose your building for standing for Christ or you lose your job for standing for Christ. That doesn't matter. You have a God who has told you he has given you an inheritance that no one can ever take away. Trust in him. Live your life for Christ. We'll see the faithfulness of God will not fail. The goodness of God will not let you down. It will carry you all the way to glory. It will do so in a way that brings others to come to know the beauty of Christ. To be a light in the midst of darkness that shines with such beauty that men and women and children get to see the beauty of the Savior and know the glory of a faithful God. Beloved Lord, may the Lord help us to fight the dangers that come in a world with enemies. May he help us to trust in the Lord who is faithful in a world of enemies. And may he help us to do good, to obey, to press on in faithfulness in this life. Let's join together before the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, God, we thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness this morning. Father, anchor us, we pray. Anchor us in the faithfulness of God who would not leave us but sent his own son to be the sacrifice of our sins that we can have life through him, a God who never failed to save those who call upon him, a God who never failed to uphold the weak as they find their strength in him. So, Lord, may we know the beauty of trusting in you, of resting in you, of committing our way to you, and may we press on in living our lives for your goodness. May we not grow envious of evil. May we not be led astray by the temptations the world may offer or by the threats the world may bring or by the attacks the enemy may give upon our own soul. Anchor us in the Savior 
Anchor us in Christ. And then, Father, may we live our lives as a living sacrifice for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. So will you hear our prayers? Will you build up your church? May you continue to allow us to hear stories of your salvation, both within the covenant community and outside of it, as people are called to come and find their hope in the Lord and Savior. And may you receive all the praise and the glory we ask.